Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. With us now is our good friend Scott Newark, former Crown Attorney, former Executive Director of the Canadian Police Association, and uh, adjunct professor at Simon Fraser University. And we, you and I, Scott, have been talking about crime and justice issues for for many years. And you sent a, a, sent me an email the other day, and you had one line which read essentially, "This is starting to feel like the '90s again." And I thought about it, and you're absolutely correct. So let's break that down. Why? And we can look at the Cam H and other situations involving police uh, and, and individuals they're seeking. What? Talk to us about the individual stories that have caught your attention and why this is starting to feel like the 90s again. Yeah, well, we've been discussing this over the last few months about you know, more stories of repeat offenders and being released and uh, a really alarming lack of systemic accountability. And they just keep coming. Uh, there's three that caught my eye this uh, week about criminal cases. One is about a guy in uh, Ottawa named uh, Manassi Ipoli, who is on a um, long-term supervision order that resulted from him being um, convicted of or- originally sexual assault causing bodily harm. He's got a long record. Uh, he was released. He, wa- he breached his conditions of release. He got a sentence for doing that. And then, notwithstanding all of that, he was again released, uh, and he's taken off from the halfway house in Ottawa that he was released to. And when you dig into the case a little bit, it turns out the uh, police are reporting, and this is the specialized unit in Ontario that does a fantastic job, repeat offender parole enforcement, otherwise known as the Rope Squad. I uh, had some work with them back when I was the police association with the Ontario government. And it turns out that the officer leading in this has identified that, in fact, this guy who was taken off, okay, that was con- the sentence he was serving, uh, he, was, uh, he got because he had breached his previous conviction. He's done the same thing, taken off from a halfway house that he's been relieved to six previous times. i got to tell you, this... Uh, rope squad was set up because the police back in the uh, the 90s was originally the Toronto police were so frustrated about having to deal with this revolving door justice system that kept you know letting these guys out there's another one out in uh, Vancouver who has fortunately been recaptured guy named Dale Roland uh, Alexander he's a uh, two-time federal offender he's got a uh, previous convictions for sexual assault kidnapping uttering uh, threats uh, also released uh, I was sentenced on that, served it, served his uh, sentence, but then was released and uh, took off again. He was So he was under a long-term supervision order as well, too. And it turns out, when you check into a little bit in the uh, media reporting of it, that he, too, had breached the conditions before, yet he was actually allowed again to be released into the community on this. And uh, just, again, on both these cases, without using the legal tools that we actually have now, including electronic monitoring. Correctional Service of Canada now actually has the legal authority to do this, yet for some reason they just very, very rarely ever actually put on the requirement of electronic uh, monitoring. And this morning, as I was just sort of getting prepared for our, our discussion today, I see there's another case, and again, it's the Repeat Offender Parole Enforcement Unit in Ontario are looking for a guy named Richard Kochar, who's wanted on a warrant for breaching his statutory release, previously serving a uh, seven-year sentence for two armed robberies. 
And it just strikes me as I'm going through all of these cases, what I would say is the difference, because back in the 90s when this was the case, there was... Uh, a, there seemed to be much greater public attention. To I was just thinking that. I was just thinking that very yeah. same thing. There was a tremendous amount of public buy-in. The things had to change. Paid attention to. There was a revelation that there was a lack of systemic accountability. Because guess what? In all the cases I just mentioned here, and the other ones we've been discussing, there is no independent authority that's going to take a look at why Correctional Service of Canada did what it did. Parliament, back in the days uh, that we've been speaking of, and I was involved because I testified in front of it, uh, uh, the Parliamentary Justice Committee, they actually held hearings and, you know, brought the witness before them and held them accountable. But there, there doesn't seem to be that same level of priority being given, and this lack of systemic accountability, the, the failure to use electronic monitoring, which is a tool that's actually been put in place, those are questions that need to be asked and answered, in my opinion. So right why, Scott, why, why, is it, why is it going on? Why, 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 have know, we, why I, are we I, reverting to where we were 20-odd yeah. years ago when a lot of progress was made? It, it just feels to me like that culture that we've discussed within the, uh, you know, the correctional system that we can do anything we want and you mm-hmm. can't ask us a question mm-hmm. uh, has crept back in again. It was exposed in multiple instances um, I was involved in some of them. Uh, Peter McKay, when he was a conservative MP on the Justice Committee, did a great job of, of exposing and calling witnesses on that uh, Member of Correctional Service of Canada 50-50 release program as well, too. Coroner's inquest in the, uh, the Fredericks case. But that inclination towards systemic accountability seems to be missing, and I think it's something that you know, our elected officials need to pick up because this is our justice system. Mm-hmm. It belongs to the people of Canada, and they're entitled to have better performance than what we're seeing. Well, we have some more to talk about, so stick around, please. Scott Newark, former Crown Attorney, former prosecutor in Alberta. He was also the executive director of the Canadian Police Association, uh, international security expert, post-9-11 for Canada, federal government, and the province of Ontario, and senior policy advisor for Stock, uh, when Stockwell Day was the public safety minister. Scott was the senior policy advisor. Proudly Canadian and making Canada proud. This is the Roy Green Show. In an hour's time, we're going to be speaking with uh, Dee Gallant. She'll join us from Vancouver Island, Duncan. And she came face-to-face. Now, imagine this. You're out walking your dog, right? Most people live in urban areas. You're out walking your dog. Pretty straightforward stuff. What are you going to run into? The neighbor's dog. Or maybe a couple of rowdies, bullies, you know, other dogs, I mean who are going to make it a little bit difficult for you to get along through the neighborhood. Once in a while, you might encounter that. But not Dee. She, she, she was out with her dog, and she was walking, and well, she'll tell us it was where exactly she was. But it was an area where you can come face-to-face with a cougar. Not the car. The kitty cat. And uh, this cougar was not going to be sort of shooed away by saying, hey, you know, the... Advices 
you talk to them. You get them to leave. That's what they do in bear country. Hopefully the bear is going to leave. We heard about the grizzly attack a couple of days ago. Well, the cougar wasn't leaving either. And then D did something that really worked. And we'll, in case you haven't heard the story, we're going to tell you what that was in an hour from now when she joins us. I was looking, uh, we're, we're back with Scott Newark, former Crown Attorney in Alberta, prosecutor, and uh, he was also the Executive Director of the Canadian Police Association. And Scott and I have been talking about justice issues for many years on this program. And in, in the 1990s, there was a tremendous buy-in nationally that things had to change. And Scott, maybe some of that had to do with the Bernardo Homolka case. And I was speaking with Paula Todd about that a little earlier today. Uh, there were there were cases that got a tremendous amount of public attention, so there was a lot of focus. And I remember one doing an interview with a with the head of a halfway house in Hamilton, Ontario, and one individual has walked away from the halfway house. You know this story better than most. And he'd made his way to Sudbury, where he shot and killed a police officer. And I found out how many criminal convictions this yeah. individual had. So I was talking to the, the 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 manager of the halfway house, and I said, "Well, how many criminal convictions did this guy have?" Because he was making the case that it was that he should be in the halfway house. He finally gave up when I said, "Was it more than 50? And it was seventy-five criminal convictions, and he was still out. And he went to Sudbury, and he shot and killed a police officer who stopped him on a traffic stop. Are we? <laughs> I want to go to the Cam H story in a second. Yeah, but are and, we drifting back? And by the way, the uh, Ontario, that's when there was an Ontario parole board that had authorized him being, his name was Clinton Suzak. Right. And authorized him to be at this uh, halfway house run by the Salvation Army, who, guess what, got paid by the, uh, if the people you know were actually at their house, and the guy had been breaching his conditions, and he was involved in drug trafficking, and nobody said anything. And then, as you say, he went and in the company of another guy on early release, they shot and killed uh, Joe McDonald, a uh, yeah, Joe police McDonald. officer. And then they, the system literally covered, tried to cover everything up. And I was part of the effort to expose everything. Um, and uh, it, it's, a, it's a good example because we did finally get at the truth. Uh, and ultimately there was a civil settlement and everything else. Bob Runciman, who was... At that point, uh, they were in opposition. Um, he did a great job in asking questions about it. And when they assumed office, they like settled the the, the civil lawsuit uh, quickly. But are we heading back into a direction well, where we've got what? people That's with 75 criminal me. convictions? And what worries me as well, too, is that uh, it's the same phenomenon about repeat offenders. And we're not using, there doesn't appear to be the same inclination towards using the accountability uh, mechanisms that are available. And so in today's world, when you look at this, and some of the stories that I cited to you guys on statutory breach of conditions, guess what? Under Canadian law, it's not a crime to breach the conditions of your statutory release. It's a crime to breach the conditions of your bail or your probation, but not statutory release. That doesn't make any sense. People who are repeat offenders are still entitled not to be, uh, they're entitled to be considered for early release, whether they're first-time offenders or whether they've got, you know, 25 previous convictions. Or 75. That needs to change. There's and I think the legislative committees uh, at both provincial and federal levels need to get back in the action on this and start, you know, holding hearings and looking into cases so there's some systemic accountability. And People are going to get hurt. Look, on the criminal cases we talked about yeah. and these ones on the not criminally responsible cases. A story by Nick Westall. 
uh, digital journalist for Global News. Toronto police are asking, and this is from uh, July 30th, so a couple of days ago. Toronto police are asking for the public's help to find a missing man who was last seen near the Centre for Addiction and Mental Health, saying officers are concerned for the safety of the public. In a statement released Tuesday evening, police said 45-year-old Anthony Murdoch was last seen around 2.20 p.m., uh, and then they give the area, Ossington Avenue and Queen Street West area, uh, the main intersection just located at the entrance to the CAMH grounds. Um, he went there, he went missing from there, the, the same area, also at, in 2017, when he was also a patient at CAMH. And there was concern for public safety. Yeah. Why do we, Why do we put the public in a position where there is danger to the public and and we don't find out until something goes wrong yeah well this is uh, i mean it's a, there's a lot of similarities between these repeat offender cases and these cases that you just mentioned at the uh, center for addiction and mental health uh, and again i think it, it, what's common in it roy is the um, lack of systemic accountability and as well the cultural sort of approach to things that oh well you know he's in here as a patient so he can't be dangerous and then the, the guy escapes, or as they put it, you know, uh, uh, fails to return. That's it, yeah, fails to you know, return. the issue of dangerous, that he's dangerous to the public. Well, if he was dangerous to the public, why was he allowed out either on an unsupervised or supervised access? And on the case that you just mentioned, and by the way, that's, there's been, I, th- I believe, seven previous ones in the last month or so from this one facility. The case that you just mentioned... Um, the guy has, has actually been found, which is a good thing, mm-hmm. but there's some really serious questions. He's got a long, long criminal history and uh, uh, psychiatric problems, but there's real questions about whether or not he was actually on an escorted pass, but it was, you know, whether the, the, the people assigned to do the escort, you know, were sufficiently uh, capable of providing the supervision, because it seems like he just walked away, and there's been suggestions that, in fact, it was, you know, simply a nurse who was doing the supervision and there were multiple patients. Those are questions that, again, as I point out, need to be asked and answered. And so far, after all of the public outrage about this stuff, and including from Premier Ford, uh, you know, the, the uh, facility uh, is going to investigate itself. So let me ask you this. What, what is it, Scott, what is a prosecutor's role now? What option do prosecutors have in situations like this? Are their hands basically tied? Well, once the, the NCR finding is made, there's a process where you go before the review board, and uh, there's presumptions. It's all in the criminal code about the presumptions of, uh, you know, uh, if the person is not deemed to be dangerous, then, you know, they're eligible for uh, non-custodial uh, detention, and ultimately, if they're not dangerous at all, then, you know, they're obliged to be released. So the Crown gets the opportunity. It's, it's similar to a court proceeding. The Crown gets the opportunity to go and make the case. Victims now, and this is a, as a result of changes that we got made to the, uh, to the system. Victims are allowed to make presentations to it. But ultimately, it is this provincially appointed, appointed board that makes the decision on these yeah. cases as to what their you know, uh, category is going to be. And then the facilities like this CAMH are the ones that actually administer it. Now, people, victims are created, Scott. Victims are created by the system that allows this to happen. You know, one of these cases, I was reading over the media, one of these cases I I referenced that's gone on, that's happened over the last uh, seven or eight uh, weeks, actually he was apprehended because he was committing armed robberies. 
Thank God nobody was, you know, shot or, or uh, hurt or killed. But we don't want to w- get back to where we were in the 90s, no. uh, you know, waiting <laughs> for the bad things to happen before uh, we take action. And that includes our officials. I think the Ontario government, they have the authority. Get their, one of their legislative committees, the Justice Committee, do that investigation. Don't let this group investigate themselves. Yeah, well, I'm about to talk to Stuart Bell, who you know uh, well. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, his, his headline story in, on Global News today, online ISIS supporter deemed a danger to Canada ordered released from custody. And it's one person yeah. on the IRB board that decided this individual had to be released. Meanwhile, CBSA, the Canada Border S- Services Agency, uh, considers him to be dangerous and, and doesn't want him released. But you know, one individual said it has to happen. Because even when the uh, the judge ordered the uh, the guy uh, released, sorry, the IRB uh, member ordered him uh, released, uh, and they had objected to that. They're letting him live. Yeah, yeah. don't don't give it all away. Don't give it all away. The places that he suggested yeah. it should be attacked. Yeah, yeah. And again, they asked, you know, congratulations to CBASA. They said, well, how about putting him on electronic monitoring? Yep. No, we don't need that. Okay, good talking to you, my friend. Okay, thanks for filling the extra time. <laughs> and not getting cut off. Okay. Yeah, well, for once. <laughs> <laughs> Scott Newark, what a good guy. And uh, he's done so much to change the direction of Canadian justice so it's more responsive to victims than anybody else I can think of over the last uh, 25 years or so. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.